You finally decided to learn how to ice skate, so you ordered the essentials every aspiring ice skater needs. A nice pair of blades, a shiny new helmet, and a good set of knee pads. And you used your Bank of America Cash Rewards credit card, choosing to earn 3% cash back on online shopping, which you put those rewards towards an essential piece of post-skating recovery, a heating pad. Visit bankofamerica.com slash more rewarding to apply now. Copyright 2020, Bank of America Corporation. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Open Floor. I'm Andrew Sharp, and sitting to my right from the Washington Post, Ben Golliver. What's up, man? Not too much, Andrew. We just got done with uh, living through, enduring the 2019 NBA draft at the Barclays Center. I don't know about you. I came away from it a little bit empty. Now, the last couple of years, we've done these live shows with Sports Illustrated, and it feels like the thing is just flying by. We're talking for like three hours. We come out of there emotionally exhausted. You know, it's like we <laughs> we won a war. Uh, and after this one, I don't know if it was the players who were involved. I don't know if it was just the way the lottery played out. I'm not sure exactly what it was, but I came away a little bit empty. I mean, the only things that people expected were the top three picks. Those actually happened. Basically, everything else was unexpected to a certain degree or a surprise. Yeah. And I feel like all the surprises were letdowns. Am I crazy for feeling that way? Well... I think the issue is that there's generally a lot of excitement that precedes any draft, but the problem for both you and I is like we both know basketball pretty well, and there just aren't that many guys in this draft that were that exciting. And so that's number one. Number two, and this is something that we talked about like six months ago, I think I said on the podcast, it's going to be a weird year for the draft because so much can happen in free agency and this class is pretty thin and I just don't know if there's going to be that much excitement by the time we get to the end of June. And that's sort of what it felt like tonight. I will also say that both you and I were at Barclays and being at the draft is a pretty strange experience because you spend half the time looking down at your phone, half the time trying to get a signal to, to update Twitter which yeah. is like, because like, like the draft these days happens like 90% on Twitter, which I don't love. Yeah, it happens earlier on Twitter than it does in real life. And then the other time you're spent like, what's going to go viral quick? I have to like, you know, pay attention. <laughs> well, so that's like, how you spend it. <laughs> well, who's got the crazy outfit? Who's got the crazy reaction? Who's sitting there with a weird face? Like, I mean, the, the TV cameras are so good at catching those things that you do feel like you're, you're drowning a little bit when you're actually there live but you know in terms of some of the disappointments like i just go right down the re- the rest of the lottery like deandre hunter trading up and having that be your number four pick like i understand the fit from atlanta's perspective but it wasn't exactly like oh we're auctioning off the fourth pick what can new orleans get for it and <laughs> they get like two other first round picks later in the draft like cool like great glad we did that you know garland the guy who i think both of us were genuinely excited about went to probably the least interesting place he could go in, yeah. in Cleveland. Um, I think, you know, Kobe White in Chicago was actually something I sort of saw coming. That one makes sense. So it's not like I was, ex- you know, over the moon about that. But, I mean, it, this is all a prelude to the Washington Wizards, number nine, <laughs> Rui Hachimura, because uh, he's a guy I saw during the NCAA tournament. Uh-huh. Uh, I think I might like his game a little bit more than you do, but it was mildly surprising maybe a little bit more than mildly that that uh, Washington would take him in the top 10 and I don't feel like you came away from that surprise feeling like you got a great present 
I was not thrilled. You got some okay? coal in your stocking, right? Yeah, we got we got an email from Joshua who says, I can't wait for the podcast to open with 20 minutes on Rui Hachimura <laughs> this summer. Uh, congrats, Sharp. You're going to love him. I'm glad that you're excited, Joshua. Uh, maybe you're a Gonzaga fan or something. Here's the thing, okay? And we, I, I think for this podcast, we should just do it traditional. I'm sure there are going to be five other winners and losers podcasts, but that's what we're going to do. We it's, invented winners and losers. We, exactly, exactly. It's 1.30 a.m. We invented podcasts. We invented depressing late-night podcasts in hotel rooms. <laughs> <laughs> this is our genre. The life of kings here. Ben just hit a, a late-night buffet uh, at some random grocery store in New York. <laughs> 2.5 liters of fried rice. Yeah, so we'll start with the Wiz, though, okay? Because I don't really understand what they're looking for with Rui. Okay, here's a better way to do it. Start naming some of the players after Rui that you would have preferred to have than Rui. Okay, well, so this speaks to their lottery luck. We can all go back to lottery (laughs) night. They dropped three spots, which I didn't even know was possible going into the lottery. One ping pong ball away from number one. I'm aware of that as well, thanks to exclusive reporting (laughs) from Ben Golliver inside the lottery room. Um... And so Diligent I, reporting. I had to dig for that one. <laughs> yeah, I made peace with the idea that I was going to be disappointed with whoever they took at nine because I was talking myself into Cam Reddish, potentially, Nas Little, who was maddening to watch at Carolina. I'm a Carolina fan. And then Sekou Dumboya or Dumbaya. I, like, I was in on Sekou, man. I was willing to talk myself into his upside. I can't get there with Rui because we're talking about a guy who's 6'8", 230, does not play defense, does not shoot threes, and does not make plays for his teammates. He turns the ball over a lot. So, like, he was productive as a power forward in college, put up a, a number of points and rebounds, decent numbers at Gonzaga. but Very good numbers. I mean, he's an All-America. Like, it was almost 2010 or something. Right. But... I think the thing is, does it translate is where you're going. That's right? what I'm saying. He seems like he has all the classic hallmarks of a guy who's good in college and doesn't really translate to the pros. And like, So maybe I'm wrong. I hope I'm wrong. So I've been embedded with some of the Japanese media, so maybe this is skewing my perspective a little bit. Uh-huh. First of all, he's a god there, and they love going around to every American reporter and saying, like, please say nice things about Rui. I think they got you today, didn't they? They did. I gave, like, a five-minute interview to a Japanese sports outlet. Did you keep it real, or did you slant it? I did not. I, <laughs> I was not going to rain on anyone's parade, okay. and I don't want to rain on anyone's parade who's excited about the Rui pick. I, I was talking to them. I was like, you know, he's a really hard worker, high motor. He's going to have a low expectations in D.C. The there Wizards don't have a lot to play for. He'll have a lot of opportunities. It doesn't even matter if he's good because John Wall's out for the next 24 months. <laughs> yeah. I didn't want to take them down the road with John Wall and get too <laughs> real with them. But, yeah. Okay. So, here would be the argument that why you should be excited. Okay. He's progressed a ton since he's been at Gonzaga, right? Barely sure. played as a freshman. Big numbers as a junior, like you mentioned. Um he, his shot has come a long way where he's pretty reliable as a spot-up mid-range shooter. Now, that's not very worthwhile right now, but I, you know they say, oh, he's a pretty good free-throw shooter and so forth. So the shooting people out there will say, well, this can be turned into a guy who can hit a corner three, and if he can hit a corner three, what more can you ask from him as a stretch for? Right? Yeah. And then I think defensively, um, he doesn't use his physical skills like as well as he could, but they're still there. 
And you can kind of picture him not going nuts if he gets into a switch situation on the perimeter. And if everyone wants to play like smaller lineups, you could kind of see him surviving as a big in those situations. Okay. That's the best I got. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Well, I also love that he's Japanese, and we're yeah. going to have that flavor no, added history. to the franchise. It's yeah. history for sure. So that part is cool. And then I also I, I have to say, on the way to Barclays, leaving the Sports Illustrated offices, uh, I was getting on the subway with Jeremy Wu, who is Sports Illustrated's draft czar, and Rui did come up in conversation, and at one point I blurted out, like, y- you gotta be kidding me, Rui Hachimura is a lottery pick. That alone is proof of what a bad draft this is. Right. So, unwittingly, I had you, sealed my oh, fate you, you at that point. Yourself. Yeah, perfect. so, well, it's perfect, you yeah, know? You should have just tweeted it right at that moment, like, sources tell me, like, <laughs> yeah. my uh, anguished gut tells me that uh, we're getting Rui. It's just terrible. All right, well, let's move on to some of these other picks, because, um... All right, here's let's the deal. Start, We should start at the top, because I thought there was good stories from all three of the first picks. I mean, we don't have to, you know, it, it will drift into generic praise territory, but, like, Zion with his mom in tears... John Morant and his dad coming out with the haters hat, you know. Oh, did he? Yeah. So John Morant, you know, called his dad his first hater and said that he's been fueled by negative uh, criticism basically his entire career because uh, his dad would kind of be demanding and push him that way. And I think his dad was like leaning into it because he had this big hat with the feather. It's like something that Carmelo Anthony would wear. Yeah. And uh, they had a great embrace, uh, and that was very cool to see. And he seemed genuinely happy to be going to Memphis. I think that. Him and Jaron, all the hyping that we've been doing of that duo of this modern sort of like one four one five combo. Uh huh. I think they've got already that sort of off court chemistry that's just kind of magic. It's either there or it's not. Um, and I think that's you know a, a real reason to be invested in the Grizzlies. And then R.J. Barrett getting the loudest cheers of the entire night from the Knicks fans, kind of out of nowhere. And we've been saying what an easy punching bag that guy was during the tournament. Remember, we kept saying, like, look, if they lose, everyone's going to blame him and let Zion off the hook. That's exactly what happened. And somehow he turned around, and he was the anti-Porzingis, getting RJ chance the whole night. Knicks fans going crazy. Dennis Scott kept saying his name over and over again to, like, yeah. egg the uh, fans on even more. That was pretty cool, too. I got to say, like, the only benefits of being there in person – that i can see is that you get the genuine fan reaction and you know in some cases you get the color of guys who are sitting around waiting and just agonizing over not being picked and i think that's you know kind of morbid and fun to watch in a way Mm -hmm. but all three of those guys i thought like triumphant night like they're being launched in the right way so rj i think is one of the biggest winners of the night i spent some time with him back in may for a profile i did in sports illustrated this past week you were breaking down his technique on like roller coaster rides at the Santa Monica Pier. <laughs> like, does he really have the stomach for this? He's handling forty foot drops out of a, a bungee cord. And- I could have actually. So, what did it tell you? you no, know, what's you he made out of? What's his real stuff? Here's the deal. Okay, we went to the Santa Monica Pier, and they have that little amusement park there. And one moment that actually was pretty dramatic is he went and did the carnival free throws. And the carnival free throws are tough on any day, but on that particular day... Well, they rigged the rims and the ball's too big. Exactly. Yeah. And it, and the wind was blowing like 25 or 30 <laughs> miles an hour. And so 
RJ had some free throw issues at Duke, so I was kind of oh. on edge, and I was like, "Look, like I, if you miss these, I didn't tell him this. I'm not gonna write it. I, I did. I did kind of make a mental note. Like if you go 0 for four here, I'm not gonna give you a hard time. But um, he went two for four, which I was pretty impressed well, by. That's not bad. I mean, did you suggest try underhand or any of that? I mean, I I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I just let him let him sort of take the take the stage but as far as he was concerned like a really good kid and uh, i enjoyed talking to him and b you could tell even then and talking to some of the people around him like he really wanted to play for the knicks and if you go back to mid-may it was like you know the knicks are going to be bringing in kd i don't know if a 19 year old two guard is what they're going to be looking for as far as I can tell, RJ was the only winner from the KD injury because now he gets the ball as much as he possibly wants, and there's going to be he's going to no- have a lot of opportunities next year and a lot less pressure too, right? Yeah, and so along the way here, the Knicks there were all these kind of whispers that the Knicks were going to be looking to do a deal, and that it, I have my theory on that. By the way, what's that? Well, I think that they're in, they're coming up onto what's going to be probably a rough summer because even in their best case scenario, they have to wait a year for Kevin Durant on a max deal. Yeah, I think they were trying to like telegraph to their fans are like hey we are doing our due diligence <laughs> yeah. we're turning over every rock we have private workouts that's in the New thing York there City. are a lot of secret workouts and i was like i don't know if this do we just need to land the plane for <laughs> team rj here but uh they did and well, it was cool to see him get the cheers on, that, on thursday night that, that's the thing i mean i feel like they were doing the secret workouts and then texting rj during the workouts like don't worry bro we still got you <laughs> yeah clearly clearly because rj never seemed worried about where he was going to go and was not subtle i mean i think at one point on this week he told some fans like he was apartment shopping in new york and right. i was like don't count your chickens but it worked out. No, this guy said the, the words the Mecca like 750 times over the last month. There's no doubt about it. And Knicks fans could have been glass half empty on this one, but they were glass half full Thursday night. And yeah, that's why I thought, you know, his story, his launch here is great. But this leads me to kind of the inevitable questions. Like, when does the other, you know, shoe drop? Because RJ's repeatedly said, like, look, I've gotten this media training since I was, you know, a pretty young kid. Uh, I've been in a big city, you know, in Toronto. I've been getting a ton of hype because I'm a Canadian prospect. Everybody looks at me in a certain way there. I went to Duke, which is his major program. Again, lots and lots of media attention. And he's basically trying to sell this idea that he's ready for whatever the New York media has to offer. And I've seen some people say, oh, you know what? The New York media, it's a little bit overrated. Like, they're not as harsh as you really think. And they just want to support a winner. All of this sounds well and good. Yeah. Until the Knicks are six and 35 yeah and it's a long rookie season you start thinking like i'm hitting the rookie wall and we've got 45 more games to go i just wonder if he's not as prepared as he thinks he is and i'm just wondering is there a way to be actually prepared for what a year of losing with the knicks is like because they've chewed through an awful lot of players here the last couple years yeah i mean i think the thing that bodes well for him is that he's going to work his ass off no matter what happens and over the next few years he is going to do everything in his power to address his weaknesses um and so i i don't know if they like losing 50 or 60 games with the knicks is going to kind of sway him one way or another I, I just th- worry that those lows are going to hit him a little harder than he thinks. They they may. They because may. Because he's lived a pretty charmed existence so yeah. far. You know what even I mean? at Duke. Even yeah. at Duke. Number and, one pick in high school. You know, goes straight to Duke. I thought he had a really good year. I mean, he did. Yeah. yeah. And I think that people 
around the draft can be like way too down on him. Like I saw him at 10 and 14 and nine on (laughs) some big boards. And that's where the, like that's where you're really trying to make your big board a take because RJ has a much higher floor than most of the people that were drafted on Thursday. Didn't we agree two years ago to not use the phrase big board on this podcast? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I get pretty deep into the draft world sometimes. I get it, but And everybody has their own big boards. I think he's going to be fairly solid and potentially great if he can. I mean, he's at 31% from three, and if he can get that up to 36, 37, 38, like he could be really, really solid as like a a perennial all-star. I don't necessarily see him as like an all-NBA MVP level guy. Yeah, what you're describing is every middle-aged man who wants to lose 15 pounds if i can just get my three-point percentage <laughs> up from 31 to 37 look that's the struggle we're all living and i can completely relate hey um then the moment that the night kind of changed for me though okay um it was when the phoenix suns took cameron johnson at number 11 because he is not in the green room they traded down for the right to take him even though it seemed like they probably could have traded down another 10 spots and still gotten him potentially they, they had all these packets of all the players who were about to get drafted. Yeah. He, he didn't get a page in the packet. And so... And he, he wasn't invited to the green room, was he? No, that's what I said. He's not in the green room. James Jones is a rookie GM. Uh, Rob, Robert Sarver, we can all agree, is the worst owner in the NBA, if not worse than second worst. Yeah. Um, on a night when Phoenix could have come home with a pretty intriguing player there in the middle of the lottery... To have that be their move and that and then have that be the signal that, yep, everyone who said this was a poor draft, here's why. Because there wasn't anybody else in Phoenix's room that could tell them there's an, a better player than Cameron Johnson to take at number 11. To me, that was just sort of like the, the, the cold water splash in the face moment of like, okay, we're done here. We can yeah. all just go home. Can we play Kobe White's reaction to oh, Cam Johnson God. getting drafted? This, honestly, this was the best moment of the whole night. All right, here we go. All right, so congrats to Cam Johnson. No, so just to be clear, he said "Wow" for thirty seconds straight. We just played that. He went another thirty seconds. Did and, he really? And still could not wrap his mind around it. And I mean, it almost was like remember they used to do those things where like they'd go to people's houses with like brand new cars, like with ribbons on them. They like knock on the door and surprise them and be like, "Hey, guess what? You have like a brand new car." Or it's like when Oprah would be handing out free stuff at her shows and like just the the raw emotion of all those women getting you know whatever free car or, <laughs> or free laundry machine or whatever um it's a bad sign when your first big move as a gm elicits that kind of a response don't you think i mean look yes the the sons are the biggest losers <laughs> on the night there's no question about it how do we always get here I, I i feel bad i feel like we're beating a dead horse and yet here we are again like the wizards are losers rj's a winner the Suns are almost in a category of their own in terms of like just clear cut 
this was not great. And the Cam mo- Johnson is a guy who, I, I, if a team had drafted him in the 20s, I would have been like, that's a great pick. Like a, right. a playoff team. Like he, you can add him to your rotation. He so, can help you. Sort of like what Memphis did with Brandon Clark. Right, exactly. Same deal. Like he's a little bit older, so the upside might not be there. But, you, but he's a solid NBA player. And he'll give you minutes, right? The most amazing stat of the whole night is that Cameron Johnson is older than Devin Booker. Devin Booker is going into six his months older. Fifth <laughs> season, his fifth season, he's going to be on his second contract. Andrew and Cameron Johnson is good again as a UNC guy. Like I like Cam a lot more than I liked Nas Little last year. Okay, but- so on your big board. Where was Cam Johnson? Oh boy, he, again in the twenties, okay. and and the Suns. Part of what underscored what a fuck up it was <laughs> is that like we're sitting there at Barclays, and it can get confusing keeping track of all the trades and uh, all the picks that have been tipped. There's multiple Johnsons, right? <laughs> exactly. There's a lot flying around. It's hard to keep track of everything. And they announced that the Suns picked Jarrett Culver. Because the the NBA it, until trades are final, every t- like the original team picks the players, whatever. So when I saw that, I, I had forgotten that they had traded that to Minnesota for Dario Saric and number eleven. And I saw the Suns landed Jared Culver, and I was like, you know, that's not a bad pickup for the Suns. Like they're in good shape. And then no, you, that'd have been a great selection. Yeah, like that's a that's a great outcome. And apparently Phoenix liked Culver coming into the draft. So and people thought he was going to go as high as four. Exactly. And so they're like now it's like you're walking home with a guy. You, you know you're picking out of your weight class. So this is great. Upside wise, he was as enticing as anyone outside of Zion. And then you step back. But they also had the chance to draft Kobe. I know. And he's probably the best Tar Heel from this class, right? Yes. With and the, with the brightest future. would have been a really future. nice fit next to Devin Booker. It's super exciting. I just don't understand. <laughs> I really don't. And it's not, we, we go back to the Suns well often, but they made it easier than I can ever remember tonight because they also traded TJ Warren for <laughs> cash considerations and cap room that like God knows what they're going to use that on. I have a feeling they'll try to throw like, $22 million a year at, at Malcolm Brogdon in a couple weeks. Well, there was another theory out there that it could be uh, your guy D'Angelo. What do you think about that? D'Angelo Russell, I'm willing to believe in the right situation. Putting him in Phoenix with Devin Booker is not the right situation. That team will give up 175 points a game. D'Angelo and Devin Booker might try to kill each other before the end of the season as they're fighting over touches. No, if people could see me right now, I'm beaming with pride. Keep going. Like, if that's the plan, Phoenix's night was even more disastrous than they're getting credit for right now. So I just don't understand. I, and then they also they traded for Aaron Baines, and they traded a 2020 pick, which I assume must be one of those picks from Milwaukee that they got in the Eric Bledsoe deal. But um, it just all around, man. Oh, I don't know. You took the words out of my mouth, so very, very well done there. Uh, also on the Suns, though, I think we should have a quick process discussion here because you mentioned how they have to announce the players being selected by this team. They can't formalize the trades and all that. In some cases, they can't formalize them until July 6th, which is like two weeks away, two and a half weeks away. So that's kind of a bummer. But uh, you know, they also do the hat thing, right, where you have to wear the team's hat even though you, you don't think you're going to go to that team. And then they go to the, the post-draft press conference, and they have to get asked questions. Like one guy was wearing a Bucks hat even though he knew he was being traded to the Cavs. Yeah. And he got a report, what's it going to be like to play with Giannis? And the guy was like, well, 
I'm probably going to Cleveland, but if I was going to play with Giannis, it would be pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> and you just feel so bad for him in that moment, first of all, because he doesn't get to play with Giannis, but second of all, because he has to go through this whole charade. Uh, now they're sending out press releases, and I'll read this. The Suns sent out this press release that says, the Suns are currently in discussions to trade the draft rights to these picks and will have no further comments after, uh, until after trade discussions are complete, most likely after the moratorium ends on July 6th, right? Yeah. So I guess my my buildup here is to ask you a simple question. Like, is the NBA outsmarting itself or did it outgrow some of these weird procedural things because we're seeing more and more trades you know in these drafts almost than ever before we're seeing shorter contracts so free agents there's more free agents who are hung up or encumbered by these moratorium rules kind of than ever before um and this is what everybody cares about now it's the transactions Mm -hmm. and as you're pointing out when you're watching at home or even in person it's all so confusing it's kind of ruining the experience I thought the TV people from ESPN were doing a pretty good job of explaining it as they were going. Yeah. But it's still like three degrees removed in some of these situations. It's so hard because it's like sensory overload. You're you're looking at guys wearing the hat of a different team and I, it's just you're juggling all this in your mind and maybe it makes more sense when you're sitting at home. I, I don't think it does. I think it's still confusing. And remember... You're, we're not the casual viewer, right? right? We're guys who talk about basketball on a podcast like Degenerates for three hours a week. So if our head is spinning, imagine what the casual viewer's head is spinning when they're thinking, oh, this pick is going from L.A. to New Orleans to Atlanta. Yeah, well, and I'm torn, too, because in the past, I've kind of enjoyed having to wear the other team's hat as like a weird draft tradition that's just kind of this awkward ritual that guys sometimes have to go through and it's like a funny quirk of the nba being weird but if 10 guys are going now it's just fucking confusing (laughs) right okay so change the rule and if the suns can't talk about the guys they drafted until july 6th that's a really stupid rule okay so like the moratorium i'm sure exists for a lot of good reasons but you have to be able to make some exceptions. Yeah, I think so. I think the NBA has got to figure out a way to clean this up because we're, we're seeing the trend. It's only getting crazier. This is only becoming more and more of a problem, and uh, it's not good TV. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, speaking of which, I want to talk about pick tipping as well. But first, uh, today's show is brought to us by Rothy's. Rothy's are the everyday flats for life on the go. They're stylish shoes, they're comfortable, and they go with everything from yoga pants to dresses and skirts. They've quickly become a most-loved, gotta-have-them brand thanks to their wide range of colors and patterns with new ones launching constantly. And their zero break-in period. Since Rothy's are crafted using 3D knitting techniques and hand assembly, their seamless design means right-out-of-the-box comfort For your girlfriend, I don't know how many women are listening to this podcast, but these do seem like female shoes. So, Ben, tell me a little bit more about Rothy's. Uh, Best of all, they're made from recycled plastic water bottles, and I love it when I get the uh, West Coast-oriented ad copy. That's right. Over 25 million water bottles have been diverted from landfills to make these gorgeous and sustainable shoes. Another major bonus, they're fully machine washable, so your pair will be fresh and ready every laundry day. Plus, Rothy's always comes with free shipping and free returns and exchanges. There's no risk and no reason not to try. You'll quickly discover why BuzzFeed called them their forever shoes. 
Check out all the amazing styles available right now at rothys.com slash cadence. Comfort, style, and sustainability. These are the shoes you've been waiting for. Head to rothys.com slash cadence. That's R-O-T-H-Y-S dot com slash cadence. C-A-D-E-N-C-E. Go there today, and look, we have a lot of female listeners. We do, we We do. also have a lot of male listeners who should be buying females' stuff. Exactly. With important women in your life, whether it's a wife, a girlfriend, Unimportant a sister. Unimportant women. Yeah, no, hook them up with some nice flats from Rothy's. Uh, this is one of my favorite ad reads of all time. So with that, Ben, let's get back into it, though. Because the pick tipping is another issue that kind of bugs me at this point because it is a televised okay. event. So explain what you mean. Like guys like Woj and Shams are a couple of picks ahead. And, and so when the surprise gets unfurled, it's not surprising. Yeah. And it's no shot at those guys because they're just doing their job. But I do think that the NBA should recognize that like that kind of removes a lot of the drama from an event that is already sort of like a bureaucratic exercise. And so if you're tuning in to watch the draft, like I I don't know anybody who wants to just spend the like 90% of the time looking down at their phone. And um, I'm not sure who it serves. But you feel obligated to do it because otherwise you're not keeping up with the information. Yeah. You're kind of, as a viewer, you're kind of stuck in between a rock and a hard place because Naturally, you don't want it spoiled because you want to enjoy the moment as the players and their families are enjoying it. But they're seeing the same tipped picks. And I was sitting there pretty close to a few of the guys and like they think they're going one place. They don't go that, you know, it doesn't wind up that way. Or they're like, you know, fist pumping a couple minutes before like Adam Silver actually kind of calls their name. I feel like that probably screws up their experience a little bit, too. It might not ruin it, but it definitely makes it different. And I don't see really any solution to it. So not like I'm going to stop using Twitter. And it's not like I think the NBA can't control it. I mean, somebody who's not affiliated with it. can't, though. Like, the NBA is so good with access in all kinds of different ways that I think that there would be room to go to reporters and or media organizations and say, look, we do you a solid in 10 different ways. You guys got to help us out on this one. But so first of all, I mean, it's for the good of the game, essentially. But you see how Woj has already gotten around it with his like kind of, you know, quippy uh, lines where he's not saying they're taking him. So he's already kind of been told that message and clearly interpreted it as, well, I, I appreciate your perspective, but this is news. And I think it is news and reporters should report it as quickly as possible. And also you're going to have reporters who aren't league partners who have no interest in protecting the NBA secrets, right? Like, yeah. And nor should they. Nor, that's, should, yeah, that's nor should anybody, really. I mean, I understand if you're like, if you work for NBA TV or ESPN, I mean, some level of compromise, like, you can maybe go that down, down I, that direction. I, I'm not arguing that anybody should ever withhold news. I just think that this is news that is coming out 90 seconds later or five right. minutes later. And I, I don't know who it serves to kind of break it in advance of well, Adam Silver reading it on stage. It, it serves them because they're going crazy. I mean, the number of retweets they're getting every single time. I mean, I don't you think a big part of the myth of the insiders is the fact that they can get this information mere seconds before everybody yeah. else. And it's helped build up their followings to millions of people in some situations. So, yeah, and it, I, it serves I get them. It. So, and again, it's not a shot at guys who are great at their job, but it's also it's just hard to follow all this stuff sometimes when right. you're basically spending the 
majority of the night refreshing Twitter, trying to figure out who's going where. I think you just have to submit yourself to it. I yeah. think you just have to realize, look, this is going to be five hours of chaos. I don't need to know every single thing and go with the flow, see what happens. There was definitely stretches where I was ignoring Twitter and enjoying it more. And that's a good life lesson. I think <laughs> that's in true. a lot of situations, life is better without Twitter. That is a good takeaway. One other related thing on this, though. This year, the trades got the big trades mm-hmm. got done early, right? So Anthony Davis goes on Saturday, ruining our Saturdays, as we've already discussed. Mike Conley goes on Wednesday. Uh, so that kind of left Thursday to me to the draft picks. First of all, I was wondering if the NBA ever encourages, like Adam Silver, if he ever encourages these teams to do that, because it does leave Thursday for the players. And now tonight's headline is all about Zion. It's all about Ja. Yeah. It's not about Mike Conley, or God forbid. Can you imagine if Anthony Davis got traded in the middle of the lottery? You know what? We also came close to Anthony Davis being traded a day before a potential NBA Finals Game 7. That, that's another one where I wonder, did Adam Silver intervene? Yeah, like, and would he have, for real, if that had been in play he's in like, advance of that game? He's like, Rob, I know you don't know these salary cap rules. I'm going to come <laughs> up with some new ones <laughs> <laughs> if you do not wait until after game six. Seriously, man. Because, I mean, look, the Warriors were a point away from taking it out of the rafters. And then uh, we would have been in Toronto on Sunday writing about Anthony Davis. So let, uh, let me ask you this. Or maybe not. Maybe, yeah. maybe he doesn't get traded until Monday, right? And, yeah. And so that's interesting to think about in terms of what the NBA's preference is. What's your preference as a viewer? Because a couple of years ago, I think we were doing a live show and Jimmy Butler got traded during the first round, right? Mm-hmm. So immediately that became the headline. And that happens some years. There's, you know, big players traded. This year, it didn't happen. Did you like having the big trades already done so you could formulate what these teams are thinking and it would keep the focus on the player, the, the draft pick prospects? Or do you like the added element of chaos when, like, established stars are being moved during the middle of the draft? I like the established stars getting moved during the draft because it, it generally adds to the storylines that night and um even in a good year this was a a tougher year for for the draft class yeah by the time we got to 14 i was like please somebody could get traded (laughs) it's tough it's tough but even in a good year you're only going 10 or 15 picks deep before you start to hit a bunch of guys that are much harder to get excited about and so when you have that added layer of drama uh kind of percolating throughout the night that can kind of carry things but um I think the whatever drama we lacked tonight will pay off in free agency. But uh, getting back to winners and yeah. losers. So this is enough of the uh, this process is like talk. Too much inside no, baseball. But I, I think I think viewers are asking these questions, especially on a night where it really wasn't that entertaining of a show. So I think that that was those questions were getting uh, asked. Can I try to guess one of your losers? Uh, yeah, hit me. Uh, the New New Orleans Pelicans. Biggest loser Whoa. well no not Suns level losing <laughs> for, for new orleans and they did draft zion williamson okay so they're the biggest winner of the night because in a lot of ways this was a one player draft people were like three player draft four player draft like zion is in a category of his own and everybody else is kind of like 
maybe they can be good. Like I can talk myself into his oh. upside. So the tiers on your big board in your tier one, <laughs> yeah. it's only Zion. God, I wish you could see how dismissive Golliver <laughs> looks in person right now. But yes, I think they can hear it. Zion is in a tier of his own. And okay, um, so why did you hate what the Pelicans did? Because okay, everyone's gonna say, oh, it's this Belichick thing. You trade down and add extra assets, yeah. to give yourself and you more know what? Shots. This isn't the NFL. Okay, <laughs> so that's number one. It would the deal that the Pelicans made, and a lot of people were like, oh, there there goes David Griffin again. He's on a roll. He's extracting even more value from that number four pick. Like, to me, just take the best players. The the odds of getting a potential all-NBA sidekick to Zion decrease dramatically when you move from four to eight, let alone 17. And the guys they took at eight and 17 didn't make a lot of sense to me. Uh, you know, Jackson Hayes is someone who's good, but I don't love his fit with Zion. And then they got Shea Gilgis Alexander's cousin from Virginia Tech. Uh, and he could be fine, but he doesn't seem like the type of guy who's ever going to be a starter on a playoff team. And so, like, Garland was sitting right there. I really believe in Darius Garland, so I, I'm probably biased there. But um, whether it's Garland, whether it's Culver, like, you should be swinging for the fences, looking at upside, and hoping that you can luck into an elite talent to pair with Zion. Because the fact is, like Zion is going to be really good, probably pretty quickly. And the the Pelicans already have a lot of help around him. It's exciting that he's going to a situation that good. Uh, but that also means that they're going to have fewer chances to pick at the top of the draft. And that's how that's how any team finds all NBA caliber help for a guy like Zion. That's how the Thunder were made yeah, possible. That's what I was going to say. Like, imagine if Sam Presti had done the Belichick and traded down from the Westbrook spot. Exactly. Then what happens? And look, we, you know, Westbrook didn't pan out to be the world's greatest player, but he certainly gave a, you know, a long window for Oklahoma City to compete, and he worked pretty well with Durant for years and years <laughs> and years, right? So I think it's not just the Garland thing that we had talked about previously, but Culver's there. I mean, I'd pr- you'd probably rather have Kobe White, right? Like, there's a bunch of different guys who you can look at and say, all these guys have a shot to be better than Jackson Hayes, right? Yeah. And then the question is, is any player at 17 in this draft going to be able to compensate for the difference between those guys, right? And in some cases, we've seen, like, the Doug McDermott trade. That worked out great for Denver, right? But yeah. I feel like that year was probably a stronger draft year mm-hmm. uh, than this one. So the two-for-one idea, it's not like I'm against that forever, I'm but, not either, and I wouldn't have been against it if they had taken a guy like Cam Reddish or at 17 taken a guy like Kevin Porter Jr. and go for guys who like have kind of an outside chance of turning into superstars. Right. But to just go for these guys who look like they're kind of replacement-level rotation pieces, what's the point? The part that kind of concerned me from their explanation of why they did this, basically David Griffin came out and said, all the guys that we acquired from the Lakers in the trades – we had every intention of keeping. We didn't want to trade them. And so you, yeah, you it, could... No kidding. <laughs> so you could probably say like, hey, that's good. He's standing up for his guys. He's letting them know that they're kind of creating this family atmosphere down in New Orleans. At the flip side, you could say, Lonzo Ball should not be untouchable. <laughs> At <laughs> like, all. Brandon Ingram should not be untouchable. And I think that I love watching Lonzo play when he's actually locked in and really playing. I think he's underrated. I think people give him way too much crap and all that stuff. But in terms of fit with Zion long-term, he's not 
going to be their long-term point guard. You could convince me that he could be their long-term two guard or their long-term small forward even in certain situations, but they have a hole in that spot to me. Well, and not only that, if you take Garland, then Lonzo becomes kind of like a fun bonus. And the same is true with Ingram if you take Culver because then you you have guys that you're grooming for the future that you really believe in. And then you kind of see what you have with the Lakers guys and see see what they turn into. But now it's almost like you need those guys to pan out and you need Lonzo to be like a starting caliber guy around Zion when in reality, like, look, Lonzo shot 41% from the free throw line. He shot 30% from three. Missed half the season with injuries. Massive holes in his game. And like, he does have moments where you're like, wow, his feel is off the charts. I love the way this guy plays basketball. And like the idea of Lonzo is great. But if you're trying to build a title contender around Zion, yeah. he's very much a variable. The emphasis is around Zion to me. You know, yeah. I think that the defensive aspect is there. They could be a really, really fun and awesome defensive team. But I think you've got to create space for Zion. And when you take Jackson Hayes, who's basically going to be finishing around the basket all day long, and then you know you don't take the best shooting guard in the draft at number four. I just question kind of the priorities there. And it does seem like they're showing a lot of trust in Drew Holiday. I think that uh, uh, Griffin came out and said, look, this is still Drew's team, you know, basically. And so that's fine for three years, right? Yeah. But long term, you know, what's the, the, the question mark there? I think somebody else might argue, okay, well... Garland, there could be the clutch sports factor, right? Do you uh-huh. want to take another guy who's affiliated with uh, Rich Paul after the way the Anthony Davis saga played out? That's okay. As we mentioned, there's you know Culver, Kobe White, some other guys who you could really get excited about taking rather than Jackson Hayes. But there's also the possibility, if you just don't like those high upside guys for whatever reason, you don't think they're fits, maybe Culver's a questionable fit, uh, or you're not as high on Garland as some people, or whatever, there was still the guy that Atlanta took at number four, DeAndre Hunter, yep. who they could have taken and just said, you know what? We need three and D guys around Zion. He will fit into the overall defensive scheme. He's not going to eat up possession, so get out of the way and he'll space the court, plug him in, and he might not be the most high-ceiling player, but if you don't like any of these other guys who are, that would be a fit too. Yeah, yeah, and you know what? I'm open to the possibility that I'm missing something here, but like looking at Jackson Hayes and trying to imagine his fit next to Zion, like I just don't get it. And I, you know, the Alexander kid, like maybe that will make me look stupid in in five years, and maybe he'll be great. But um, it it was disappointing in part because I really think Darius Garland is going to be the second best player from this draft, and we may look back and be like, God, they had a chance to pair. Darius Garland and Zion together it would have been amazing in the pick and roll like who knows where we'll be but the, the main thing that I think is most telling is how pissed off I was by this <laughs> it is a sign of how important Zion's next five years are no, and, no no question we had the listeners tell us you know start Zion Inc we're here like we're <laughs> we're already mad at how they're handling it exactly so, you and know? that is a good sign the one thing on Hayes though um uh, we can agree that Zion will play some center at times and probably in the playoffs during the course of his career, right? Yeah. Even though he's pretty undersized, but I think they're going to want to go to that versatile look and he can step out and switch and he can recover. He can get up to block shots. But they do need a traditional center to sort of be his bodyguard, right? To take some of the tougher defensive assignments to, uh, you know, basically give you the big look that you can start with before you shift small because he can't play center full time. That's not the best way to use him right right 
So they don't really have other great center options on the roster right now. I think it's basically like Jaleel Okafor and then whatever they decide to do with Randall, right? And I would guess they're going to let Randall go. Yeah. So that's, that's the, the word out of New Orleans. Right. So it's a hole, and that could be an expensive hole to fill. So is taking a shot here on a, on a type of player that you know you're going to need at some point if you believe in him and you like his finishing ability, you like his you know shot blocking numbers and all of that, and just taking the patient approach with him, like is that defensible? Maybe more than it would seem at first blush. Yeah, it could be. I mean, if that's the direction they wanted to go, then I would have encouraged them to get more serious about trading four for Miles Turner if that was an option. Um, because I think ideally, what you're going to want, and this is what we say you know, with a dozen different players through the years is like you want a five who can protect the rim and then get out of the way and space the floor. And I don't know if Jackson Hayes is ever going to be that guy. Well, this is another moment where I think the quality of this draft class plays out because I would not trade Miles Turner yeah. For the number four pick, if I'm Indiana. And I really don't think Indiana would have either. Yeah, maybe maybe so. Um, but anyways, the Pelicans, we should not distort the conversation. The Pelicans are massive winners because they got Zion, but I am currently a little pissed off about the way they played the rest of the draft. But um, moving on, Ben, today's show is also brought to us by... Raycon, it is 2019. Everyone needs a great pair of wireless headphones. Before you go dropping hundreds of dollars on a pair, you need to check out the earbuds from Raycon. Raycon recently sent me a pair of wireless headphones and they have been awesome to work out with, great for traveling. You guys should all check them out. Raycon earbuds start at half the price of any other premium wireless earbuds on the market and they sound just as incredible. The company was actually co-founded by Ray J and celebrities like Snoop Dogg, Cardi B, Melissa Etheridge, Brandy, and J.R. Smith are already obsessed. The dream team. Nothing but heavy hitters. Raycon's E50 wireless earbuds have totally changed the game for me. They're so comfortable and so easy to take anywhere. You travel with them. We're going back and forth during the finals. They're incredible. Raycon offers their wireless earbuds for everybody in a range of fun colors and at an unbeatable price. Like Andrew said, half the price of other headphones. That's crazy. Go to buyraycon.com slash floor to get 20% off your order. That's buyraycon.com slash floor for 20% off Raycon wireless earbuds. If you've been eyeing a pair of earbuds, now is the time to get an amazing deal. One more time, that's buyraycon.com slash floor. And go buy them. Just don't even listen to us. Just go do it. <laughs> yeah, or listen to us with Raycon headphones, okay? Make it happen. Get some Raycons in your life. Yeah, lay back on that mattress for a mattress with your earbuds <laughs> in. Get your flat shoes on. That's right. Ball that's out. Right. Um, all right, so home stretch here. Grizzlies were another winner to me. Hey. I, I liked the Brandon Clark pick. You know, and, well, so why? Um, because I think he pairs well with Jaron Jackson. Jer- oh, Jaron Jackson Jr. Uh, it's always an adventure saying his name, but I also think that John Morant has a lot of the int- intangibles that you would want in a guy who's going to have to take over for Mike Conley as he as he heads to Utah. Um, I'm not super sold on Ja. How do you feel about him? I like Ja a lot. Um, 
I mean, again, I think he's benefiting from a number of factors, right? The rest of the class is kind of weak. He definitely had a good, you know, brief but very entertaining NCAA tournament run. Yeah. Huge stats this year. I think, what, 25 and 10 or something like that? I mean, that's pretty nuts for a college point guard. Uh, Exciting style of play, which I definitely think plays into uh, this decision if you're the Grizzlies because you need a guard and, you know, you need to sell tickets and you're losing – Mike Conley and Marcus Saul here over the last six months. So I think that definitely played into his hands. Garland's knee injury definitely helped him out. And so a lot of factors kind of conspired to put him there. Um, the reason why I like their draft, though, you know, you mentioned Clark. Like he's one of these guys, the advanced stat guys love, right? He's mm-hmm. a little bit older, but his efficiency's off the charts, blocks tons of shots, like gets all the defensive stats that people look for. But, you know, ultimately, like, his range to me, it's like five feet in it, right? Yeah. And if you have a point guard in Ja who's going to be able to run the pick and roll really well with Jaron, Jaron's going to be able to pop out to the, you know, the wing, hit the three. Uh, you have Ja going downhill hard to the basket, collapsing defenses, and, you know, drawing lots of attention. Clark's a really nice fit because the lobs are going to be there, right? Yeah. And he's going to be able to finish them. And so I actually think... You know, Jaws assist numbers, people can kind of nitpick and say, okay, really, what's the quality of competition, all that stuff. But uh, he's clearly wired the right way to me. And I think he's going to be one of these guys where if you line up the types of passes he's making, he's going to work well and and get the best out of Jaron. And same deal with Clark. And that's kind of their core right now. Because if you look at their roster, it's awful. (laughs) Yeah. It's really not good. And so if that's what your base is, and I'm not saying Clark's even going to be a full-time starter for them at any point, right? But this is sort of their their developing young group of players. You want that point guard to work well with the other two, and I think he does. Yeah, I'm I'm excited to watch them next year. They're probably going to lose another 55 or 60 games. That was another question I had for you. Are they a winner because their pick is top six protected for next year and they're almost guaranteed to keep that pick? Well, I don't know. Lottery reform is kind of a, a roll of the dice at this point because like you Uh-oh. can you can lose fifty five or sixty and end up at seven. So Jaw's gonna be the first nineteen year old point guard to get load managed. <laughs> yeah, perhaps, perhaps. They're gonna have to take pretty aggressively. I Given the parameters that they were working with, where they had kind of locked in on John Morant, I like this draft night for them. Um, but I will say, I I feel obligated to play devil's advocate on Jaw a little bit. I think I think they locked in on him as soon as they landed the number two pick, and I never really understood why. His athleticism is good, but it's not like out of this world good. He's a great passer. He's not a very good shooter. He's not going to be a very good defender, and. Um, I think he's going to be a really solid top 10 point guard. I don't know if he's ever going to be a top five point guard in the NBA, which is a little worrisome if you're taking him number two in the draft. And I think like RJ Barrett may have been a better fit for them in terms of what he could be in the best case scenario. And I I also think RJ's weaknesses would be sort of um, masked a little bit playing with Jaron Jackson Jr. But uh, that said... I think that it was a it was a solid night for them, and this is a team that has basically spent four years clinging to an aging nucleus that was kind of clearly going nowhere, and um, now they have charted a course that is like a lot more exciting going forward. Not that the grit and grind years weren't awesome, but it was just clearly time for a new chapter, and it's been that yeah. way for three years. They hung on to that thing for a while. Yeah, <laughs> they, they really milked it for all it was worth. So a couple of things I think that may have influenced 
the decision-making process that you're talking about, which really almost doesn't feel like a process. They just race to the end. It feels like they failed a debt to Con- uh, Conley to move him mm-hmm. after they traded Mark. Yeah. I mean, and it seemed like that was kind of hanging. So it was almost like they're pigeonholing themselves into a point guard, knowing that they were, it was time to kind of move on from him. And also probably they wanted to get off his salary cap number. They have a new GM uh, who's younger. He's probably trying to get as much, much flexibility as he can. And he probably just came into that job and said, look, we need to trade Mike basically no questions asked. So that probably, you know, shaped uh, their decision. I think the other part is, if you do draft RJ, it's hard to tell yourself this guy's going to make Jaron better, right? Yeah. And I'm not saying, I mean, you've called Jaron a Hall of Famer. I, I love Jaron too. Uh, if he's that level of a player, or if we have that kind of internal belief in him as the Grizzlies, you have to look at this draft pick through the lens of who helps Jaron the most, right? Mm-hmm. Or who can help Jaron reach his full potential. And I think. There's a pretty strong case to be made. It may be in a vacuum. You like RJ better than Ja, but of those two guys, who do you trust to make Jaron better and his life better more? Don't you think it's Ja? Yeah, uh, perhaps. I mean, I, Garland, I believe, is a Tennessee kid, and so I'm surprised that they didn't give him a harder look. Granted, taking if he a had guy, gone to Memphis, not Vandy, maybe, <laughs> maybe, <laughs> maybe a little bit different. Yeah, played for some Penny Hardaway I, AAU teams. Along I, you the way. know what? I love Vanderbilt because about once every ten years they'll start paying players again and so, start getting these elite recruits we need out some, of nowhere. We need some people from Tennessee to tell us: Does Tennessee claim Vanderbilt? Uh, probably not. Because it's like private, yeah, right? Hard Pretty fancy. No on that one. It's like the Harvard of the South or something. Yeah. What do they call themselves? Uh, probably the Harvard of the South. Yeah. I think there are a couple Harvards of the yeah. South, but... No disrespect to Lee Jenkins, but come on, man. Harvard <laughs> of the South. <laughs> yeah. I think Vandy is like a firm third on the Tennessee power rankings. I think it's UT and then Memphis and then Vandy. Memphis next year is going to be awesome with Penny Hardaway and assistant coach Mike Miller, by the way. He's... Uh, He's apparently their, like, ace recruiter. But I think that's enough Grizzlies talk for now. Grizzlies slash Memphis basketball talk. Tennessee power rankings. And also, like, it would have been a ridiculous gamble to take Garland number two. And Ja is definitely, like, the safer bet. Um, I do think the Cavs are winners as well, though, taking Garland at five. So let's talk about that because Colin Sexton, to me, has got to be one of the biggest losers of the whole night, right? Yeah. Yeah. I don't really understand what Cleveland's trying to do because I think if I'm looking at Garland or Sexton, I think Garland is more of a beeline player, three-point shooter, you know, extend the defense, kind of play that style. Yep. So I can understand why he would want him. And it just makes me nervous if you have a coaching change in between a time period where you draft two slender or skinny six-foot-two point guards who aren't going to play any defense on the NBA level. And you I don't think you can play those guys together. I mean, I don't know if you look at the defensive real plus minus numbers for Colin Sexton, but they were like off the charts bad, right? Yeah. And so Garland, I mean, you know he's going to struggle his first year. There were also a lot of Cavs fans who came out and looked at some of the advanced numbers for Sexton and were like, you know, De'Aaron Fox had very similar numbers his rookie year. And my reaction to that is Colin Sexton is not De'Aaron Fox. (laughs) And De'Aaron Fox, more than anything, is like an out-of-this-world athlete, and Sexton isn't in that category. So that's number one. Um, And I think one of the reasons I was so impressed by the Sexton pick, I initially thought that the Cavs were just taking him to auction him off, and that may still be true. But if it's not... 
I think it's really healthy for Cleveland to acknowledge that Sexton probably isn't the guy. Um, and he, Already, after one year. Yeah, and you know, I think he was Dan Gilbert's guy, and that was telegraphed pretty early in last year's draft process, and you never necessarily want to have your owner picking your like the future of your franchise. Um, and I think Garland has a higher upside and fits better with where basketball is going. So I think they'll give this a try for a couple of years. But Man, bottom line I, is... A couple of years is going to be a long couple of years if you're trying to play those guys but together. But it's going to be a long couple of years regardless. So yeah. I, the, the reason I like it is because the, the Cavs are so irrelevant right now that you shouldn't be letting fit dictate who you're taking in the top five of the draft. This is the same organization that had Kyrie and Deion Waiters coming to blows. Yep. Because they both needed the ball as young lottery picks. Yeah. I'm not saying these guys are going to get into a fight, but that seems pretty dicey to me. And just well, to underscore the defensive point... 514 people in the Real Plus Minus database. Colin Sexton's 513th. The only player worse was Trey Young last year, right? So if he's going to get to where De'Aaron Fox is, it's a a long climb, Andrew. This is 10,000 feet above sea level. You know what I mean? It's tough. And I think if if we're comparing it to Waiters and Kyrie, I would expect Sexton to be Waiters in that analogy. Um, (laughs) And... No shot. I like. Look, Sexton. I think no. Could there's actually, shots. If there, you compare somebody shots. to Dion Waiters, okay. There are shots. There's shots. But I think Sexton would fit well as a sixth man long term, and and does have like a, a ten or fifteen year career in the NBA. But I think Garland just has a, a higher ceiling, and I, I'm kind of all in on him. Yeah. Did he just get moody aid? Is that what happened? Perhaps. Perhaps. And and, and look. When you go those back were to Denver, long, those were long years watching the Moody thing play out. Yeah, Denver should have pulled the plug much earlier than they did, and um, so I think that's encouraging. If you're Cleveland, they also took a shot on Kevin Porter Jr., who had probably top ten talent. I'm not entirely sure. I've done like a little bit of digging to figure out like why teams were so down on him. Uh, there were a lot of questions about his intangibles and what teams were going to have to do to like keep him on track in the NBA. But um, but hey, look, in it, always take the guy with the high upside so, if you're a team in the middle of nowhere, and that's where the Cavs are. So let's kind of pull this all together. I don't hate the plan from the Cavaliers because if you just believe in Garland as the best player, you need talent. Mm-hmm. Go for it. I don't hate the situation for Garland necessarily. I mean, there's definitely more fun and more promising places to land, but he should get his chance to win that job, be the guy, and proceed towards a max contract you know in his second contract right which is what pretty much most young point guards care about right i do really dislike this if i'm calling sexton i'm very upset by this yeah because culver's available other other players are available at other positions that are clearly of need you're probably thinking down the the stretch of last season that you're improving after the all-star break right like you're showing progress you're feeling like you're understanding the pace of the game all the other things that rookie point guards come through then you get a brand new coach and this blindsides you yeah now it's like what is the plan do i have to go with my job again i thought i was supposed to be the guy i was the lottery pick last year is this how short the leash is in the nba like all those mental thoughts start going and it's tricky and you start asking yourself can i play with this guy and i think it's going to become pretty clear pretty quickly if they try to do it's not going to work it's going to be very very bumpy and he won't be the fresh new shiny toy yeah, he will be the second year guy who needs to show market improvement before 
people start getting upset and blaming him, right? And I'm glad you made that point because oftentimes as we're podcasting, we can kind of take on a heartless persona. No, speak, <laughs> speak for yourself. Well, yeah, it happens a lot <laughs> in the way we talk about basketball on the internet more generally, even beyond you and I. And, uh, and it should be noted that this is a really tough situation for Sexton, who did everything right as a rookie. And got killed by his veteran teammates early in the season, he got, right? And responded. He got right. better as the year went on, and it was really impressive. I, I just think if, if we want to step back and look at it objectively, is he the guy who's going to be the focal point of a contender in Cleveland? I don't necessarily see it with him. Yeah, no, I hear you. Well, contender in Cleveland, those are words that we're not going to be hearing for a while. <laughs> but like, here's a good comparison, right? Yeah. So Chicago takes Kobe White, mm-hmm. and their front office has come out and kind of dumped all over Chris Dunn, and he took that personally, right? Yeah. Chris Dunn's been in the NBA for multiple years. He's already been traded once. He came into the NBA a little bit older than the average player after spending some time in college. So he can't look around and be confused by what happened. Right. He should have completely expected them to take a point guard, and he's going to go into training camp probably if he's still there and you know beat out Kobe White and feel like he should be the starting point guard. And there may come a time during next season where they're like, you know what? Sorry, Chris. Like, we just need to do what's best for the organization. Try to give this guy some minutes, see how he does in the starting point guard role, and everything else. That situation sucks for players to be in because you don't feel like it's fair. You feel like the front office playing favorites and yada yada yada, right? But you've had years to prepare for that. Yeah. Colin Sexton hasn't, and that's why. I mean, I'm not calling him a loser because he sucks and because oh ha ha ha, he just got his job taken and all of that. This is just like how harsh the NBA can be for players who are still really, really young. Yeah, no, it's a it's a very tough situation, and uh, and I'm glad you made that point because and look, he, he again, we should stress that he did get better as the year went on, and I, I <laughs> we've stressed that <laughs> like, yeah, he still wasn't that good. Yeah, so we'll see we'll see where it all ends up for them because Garland, as much as I believe in him, is like far from a sure thing as well. Um, they so, also took Dylan Windler, who. I'm convinced is being drafted like 15 spots higher based on the success of Kevin Herter last year, but he's a guy I liked as well. So let's can we play devil's advocate to wrap this real quick? Is there a chance that you could see these two guys playing together and striking some like small ball magic where they're just dynamic and they're shooting the ball well? And- Maybe. I mean, look, the Cavs are going to be the It's a you long say, road for you, the Cavs. You can say no. I, I mean, yeah, not really. Okay. Not really. All right. Home stretch, though. I have two more winners, one loser. And first, Ben, today's show is also brought to us by Mattress Firm. After the trip, I drove my van back with all my equipment. I could hear a little bit of whimpering and crying. When Eldon Kidd a father of five running rafting tours through Mexico, found two Guatemalan girls stowed away in the back of his tour van one night, it changed his life forever. They pleaded with me, can you bring us to the border? I agreed. And I thought, can I do this again somehow? From the team behind American Skyjacker comes an epic new crime series, American Coyote. Being a coyote is a dangerous and illegal business. You have to be prepared for the worst. The unbelievable tale of a legendary coyote named Eldon Kidd. American Coyote. Listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your shows.
You decided it was time to upgrade your outdoor deck, so you got all the essentials to do it. You ordered a power washer, a set of patio chairs, and a shiny new grill. And you used your Bank of America Cash Rewards credit card, choosing to earn 3% cash back on online shopping and up to 5.25% as a preferred rewards member, which you put towards your most essential deck addition, a bird feeder. Apply for yours at bankofamerica.com slash more rewarding. Copyright 2020, Bank of America Corporation. The other team that we have to mention is the Hawks. They okay. were winners, I think. Ooh, okay, um, why? I go, well, because I like them trading up for relatively uh, modest price. They traded up to four to grab DeAndre Hunter, who's a guy that they really believed in as a fit. A relatively modest wing? Yeah, well, <laughs> he, he's modest yeah. in so far as like he's never going to be a star, but I think he's a really solid cog for them. And then as sort of like a hedge against his low ceiling, they took Cam Reddish, who has star potential. He's a couple years away from turning into that kind of player. And I think like he had a really, really rough year at Duke and and just kind of disappeared down the stretch. So that wasn't great. But I like the idea of Atlanta saying, all right, let's roll the dice here. So what I did like about Atlanta's uh, moves is that those two wings are not progressing or developing in mutually exclusive fashion you can find a way that both those guys can be good for you and both those guys can fit because they're different styles of guys right like as easy it is to say like okay reddish is your offensive minded forward hunter is your defensive minded forward right and you hope that both of them are going to wind up being two-way players and that's possible yeah uh, in the not too distant future um but they both have lanes that aren't going to be intersecting constantly right the thing I like about uh, Hunter is just the pure fit with their pick and roll guys, with Trey Young and with John Collins. I mean, it's it's very simple, but like you're just going to keep him camped out on the weak side. You're going to run your pick and rolls if the defense collapses too much. He's going to be in the corner, you know, hitting that shot consistently over and over. That's going to be his life. Yeah, he seems like he has the personality to buy into that. That's not that life is not for everybody, right? right. And sometimes that life comes with. Otto Porter level hate, you know, people yeah. turn on you and weird pressure happens and whatever. But he seems like from a fit standpoint, it's really good. Now, does that he mean... He also really wanted to play in Atlanta too. Well, it seems like people want to... I mean, does Trey have a little bit of the Steph Curry magic? A little bit. And it's funny because Lloyd Pierce, when I wrote that piece on Trey Young for SI like back in November, Lloyd Pierce was talking to me and he's like, players are going to want to play with Trey Young. And I was like, I mean, I I don't know if I believe that, but I nodded my head and here we are. He's a really good passer. He keeps the ball moving. He's pretty, he's got a a beat personality. I mean, I could see it. Yeah. We got a ways to go before we go from DeAndre Hunter to like NBA superstars, but it's a good sign early on. And it's a credit to what Atlanta is building down there. For sure. And you're mentioning, okay, so Reddish, how does he fit into this? Well, one thing that we've seen is, when NBA teams get too programmed into the idea of like we have one lead ball handler, one roll guy, and three shooters, when the playoffs come, you're too predictable. Teams can kind of take away your spot-up shooters, and then your offense devolves, especially if your lead ball handler is facing traps or whatever else. That's where the secondary scorer, the secondary creator type scorer, uh, you know, that role comes into uh, you know being more important. That sounds kind of like Reddish. Yeah. I'm not totally convinced he's going to be able to get there. I mean, the numbers, the advanced numbers really seem to hate him. Yeah. And you, you can blame that on some of the Duke system. You can blame that on just his opportunity playing alongside a bunch of really talented players and no shooting at Duke in the college game and all that stuff. 
I mean, it, there's genu- it's genuinely worrisome how his, his freshman year went. But from a fit standpoint, again, is very clean. Not only with Hunter, like I mentioned earlier, but with their other major pieces. And so... Well, and Reddish is the type of guy that you want to draft without having to count on him to be anything. Certainly for the first few years of his career. And that's where the Hawks are. Because they got Hunter, and he's the guy that is a really safe bet. And then, you know... Reddish, you just sort of see what you have in a couple years. And I think that's a great spot to be. So happy for my Atlanta Hawks and Trey Young. And um, the other team that was puzzling to me, what do we make of the Celtics after the last five days? We talked about the Celtics earlier this week. We assumed that Horford was going to be back. The The Horford thing has blown up. He seems to have a secret deal somewhere or certainly is pretty confident that he's going to get four years and around $100 million, which is not a deal that I would be in a hurry to offer if I were in Boston's spot, but um, but it does kind of complicate what they're trying to do next year. I mean, it'd be so much fun to just kind of guffaw at uh, Boston's expense, and I think they've made their share of mistakes here along the way, no doubt. But I think that driving a hard bargain on a player like Horford at this stage of his career and avoiding a fourth year that could get really, really ugly is smart management. Well, and people, when they think about Horford, will probably think back to that Bucs series and maybe that game one of that Bucs series where he was able to neutralize Giannis. He was hitting from the perimeter. He looked incredible. And people were just like, oh, my God, is Horford a top 10 player? But for long stretches of the regular season – Horford is averaging 13 points and like six rebounds a game and is really pacing himself at this point in his career. Yeah, and he's also missing time too, and that's likely to increase. And so if you're giving him that big dollar contract for all those years, uh, you know, that, and you're already behind the eight ball because of the Hayward deal, I mean, that's a dicey situation. It seems to me like uh, they're rebuilding. Yeah. You know, I'm not even going to call it retooling. It seems to me like they're rebuilding. They trade Aaron Baines today as well. Um, I would have traded up for Garland if I were them, but um, they were able to create more cap space. They traded Aaron Baines. They have $25 million, I believe, right now. And if they renounce Terry Rozier, they'll have 30-plus. Um, so It's hard to admit that you need to rebuild, right? And so yeah. maybe they have some free agent target who they think is going to save things. That's why they're going for the cap space. Or maybe they're just thinking, like, don't back ourselves into a corner that we're not going to be able to get out of two years from now. One example with the Horford deal, actually, is Chris Paul. Yeah, You know, I mean, at the time they signed that deal, I defended it from Houston's standpoint because I said, look, you're going to be paying for the first two years of it. The next two years are going to be painful. And it made sense on Houston's part because Houston was real close to a title. Right. Let me ask you this. If Boston had Kyrie coming back, don't you think they pay Horford? Yeah, they would they would have to think harder about it than they than they do now. And their offer would definitely be higher yeah. in terms of total dollars and years than I'm sure it was. Uh, in this situation for it to blow up this fast i mean they must have <laughs> yeah maybe insulted him a little bit well mm-hmm. the the celtics are also going to get crushed because they took another handful of kind of so-so draft picks but i just happen to like a lot of the guys i like grant williams i really like carson edwards um it's unclear whether carson edwards's game is going to translate to the nba but i loved watching him at purdue and uh, and Grant Williams is going to be, he's a safe bet to translate. Romeo Langford is kind of the spiritual heir to James Young. I like that because it's nice that Danny Ainge still has a soft spot for those guys. So we'll see what and, the Celtics And pretty good value into. where they got him to, right? Yeah. I mean, if, at 14, you want to swing for the fences. Like that's, that's kind of been my theme, I guess. 
And by the way, people are still talking about Kyrie and KD signing in Brooklyn, and that's still a possibility that's being thrown out there. And so maybe that's how this all resolves itself. There was also a report that Brooklyn isn't interested in Kyrie if KD isn't coming with him. So There's reports about everything these days, man. It's true. It's true. Uh, <laughs> last report, though. The Los Angeles Lakers. It was finally confirmed tonight that the Lakers deal is going to be executed on July 6th, as was rumored over the last week or so. And then Lakers fans were kind of Trumpian in the way they were second-guessing every report and calling out reporters with mixed motivations or whatever. Like, first of all, that was pretty strange. And then second of all, a lot of those people now claim that they've been validated because Palinka allegedly knew that it was going to be executed on July 6th all along, while other people had said that he didn't know. I I think it's actually worse for Palinka if he did know that it was going to be executed on July 6th. What do you think? Why? Because he gave up so much that it just makes his negotiating skills look even worse? Yes. I mean, it's really embarrassing to give up what they gave up in the in that Anthony Davis trade and not come away with control over when the deal is done. I mean, that's like pathetic. And and lo- like the further we get from the deal, the more shocking it becomes, and it's going to affect the entire NBA summer. And it's just one of the bigger blunders I can remember from a front office in like the last ten years. Yeah, and the weird part to me is like they couldn't find a way to make a better three-team deal than what New Orleans wound up getting for that fourth pick. Yeah. I mean, didn't we start with that as being like Bradley Beal, and then it turned into the 8 and the 17? Yeah, and for me, honestly, I had been reserving judgment because the idea that they weren't going to have control over that trade seemed so incredible to me that I thought, you know what, maybe they just have like a handshake agreement and they're going to work this out and and they're still going to have max cap space. But right now, it it looks like getting to max cap space is going to be a lot more complicated than anyone assumed when that deal first went through. And um, that is a reflection on the failures of the Lakers front office. Well, the big name for them tonight was Vucevic. Why? That's what they were... The reports. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Got to do better than that, Lakers. So they throw $23 million at Vucevic. How are you feeling? I don't love it. I don't love it. But I do like that we are going to enter next season with 10 teams believing that they have a shot at winning the NBA title. That is something that I, I, I can't remember any NBA year when that's been true. Uh, but I think it is going to be true next year. So The new super team with Vucevic in the picture. <laughs> no. Right, so Got to do better than so Vucevic. So at SI, are you going to put LeBron... Anthony Davis and Vucevic on the cover? Maybe, yeah. Oh, I cannot wait three. to read this story. This is going to be a great <laughs> now investigation. Now, this is going to be fun. Yeah, you need to take all those guys to the same uh, you know, free-throw shooting competition that uh, RJ did two for four at Santa Monica. <laughs> Put them to the test. Yeah, we'll, <laughs> we'll see how it goes. See if LA's three all-stars have what it takes to uh, beat the, the smaller rims. Andrew, this was fun. Thanks for visiting my hotel room at 2.30 in the morning. To do this, guys, you can check us out on Apple Podcasts by searching for two words. That's open floor. When you find our page, scroll down. It will say rate and review, tap five stars. It's just that easy. We're also on the world-famous radio.com slash open floor. Check us out there. Be sure to support all of our amazing sponsors who came through big time for us uh, on this episode. Of course, I'm also on 
Instagram at Ben.Golliver and Andrew. We're starting to get to the slower part of the summer, and guess what that means? What? The triumphant return of the lantern. <laughs> I've been getting so many emails and messages about bringing the lantern back. I'm so excited. You know what? I honestly had no idea where you were going with that. Like, guess what that means? It's like you're gonna, are you gonna disappear or something? Um, Don't worry. I'm here for you throughout the summer, guys. We're gonna keep these episodes rolling as we get into summer league, and from there on out, it's gonna be fantastic. Andrew until next week when i think we're both gonna be back home hopefully yep i'm I'm gonna take the next four days with no cell phone and just disappear but then we'll come back on the grid and uh talk free agency man sounds amazing until then i will talk to you all right man